I was reflect, reflective and in prayer this morning, thinking about times that God has spoken to me in my life, and it's been very clear. And I could think of three decisive moments, and, and I've had those, those moments where it's so clear. It just seems like God has transmitted the information to you. It wasn't a voice. I wasn't in a cave, and it's the still, small voice. It's, it's just like it's clear. This isn't my lunch acting up. This isn't just my wild thoughts. There's no other valid explanation than that God has just spoken into my life in a clear and decisive moment. I love those moments. I've had a lot of periods in my life, and maybe you're the same way, where it feels like radio silence, where it feels like, God, I'm calling out, but I don't feel like I'm having those moments. And I have to remember in those times that God is still speaking, just perhaps not in the way I desire for God to speak. God is still speaking as I pursue him through Scripture. He's very clearly spoken there, and that is something for us to rely on, to hear God. And God continues to speak through his people as we gather together. And those are important and significant things to rely on. And the underlying point isn't so much that if you pray the right way or do the right things that God would speak, as we pursue him, I think we'll meet him, but that we constantly need to seek God, constantly need to be in pursuit through God's word, for God's direction, as we pursue the goals that God has for us in this life. As a pastor, I've run into a lot of people then who have that longing to hear God. And they desire to hear God, and they desire to get closer to God. Maybe they've never made the commitment to follow Jesus, and they say, I think that seems interesting. And I've given the advice that I'm giving you this morning of, we need to constantly pursue God. And you might not hear him decisively in that transmitting kind of way, but if we seek him through his word and through his people, we're going to find him. And there are some people who say, yes, absolutely, let's start today. And there are other people who I've given that advice to, start reading the book of Mark, or start reading the book of John, and they say, that sounds like a good idea for tomorrow. And they're not going to get anywhere, because they're not going to engage. And I say all this because as we go through the text this morning, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, um, and I do encourage you to follow along. We'll, we'll reference it in different ways this morning. And we'll break it up in two sections, so we're kind of going to have two thought flows that do go together. So hang with me this morning. And I want to reference last week's point, which last week I simply said, when you believe, Jesus can fix what sin has broken in you. And let's face it, we all know something's wrong with the world, and when we're really honest, we all know that something's wrong inside of us. And if we're really, really honest, we know that we can't fix it all. We, it's just beyond us to fix all that's wrong with the world and that's wrong within us. That doesn't mean everything's broken, but there are significant components that are. Now that's the prerequisite for this week. So when you believe God can, or Jesus can fix what sin has broken in you. This week, as we read what happens with Jesus, both in his hometown and sending out the 12, which do go together, even if it seems like they don't, uh, we can recognize the point this week is that when you take Jesus at his word, you will share Jesus with his world. It's, it's compelling once it gets in you. Once the message of Jesus and the good news of Jesus gets inside, then all of a sudden it's hard to stop from sharing. But it has to get in there. 
So I want to turn to Mark 6, and before we do that, I just want to just stop and have a moment of prayer and silence. And as, just take a moment of silence and just invite the Spirit into your heart, into your life, that as we read the text, you would receive it. Father, as we open up your gospel and your good news, may we hear it and receive it as good news this morning. And may it be powerful to transform us into your, the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's go to Mark chapter 6. And as we go there, let me just make an important point about what we're going to see. When Jesus speaks, and we hear him speak, when Jesus acts, sometimes people will believe. And sometimes they won't. That seems like an encouraging place to start, doesn't it? Sometimes people believe, sometimes they don't. Let's look at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6a, to be specific. Jesus left there. So he had been around the Sea of Galilee before this. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not, is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The summer uh, series that we're going through focuses on some different vocations that Jesus has or titles that we could ascribe to Jesus, prophet, shepherd, king. Here we're decisively in the territory of prophet. A prophet is one who speaks the word of God to the people. And Jesus is speaking that. He's revealing God's work. What the good news is is revealed in his teaching and his actions. What the kingdom of God is is revealed there. And the question is, who's going to accept this? And that's what you'll see in both sections of this text. Who's got the ability, who's got the, the power, to, or the, even the ear, to take this in and let it speak into their lives, and let it change them? And you can see this response. When Jesus goes to Nazareth, his hometown, he comes home, and it starts with amazement. Wow, what great teaching. Isn't that the carpenter, right? How cool. But then it quickly turns, doesn't it, to offense. They're scandalized. Some of you in your footnotes have they stumbled over his words, which is a bit more of a literal rendering of that. Right? Just like I could right now, if I decided to, take a decisive turn and start talking about something totally unrelated to the sermon and come back, and some of you mentally would never make it back, right? That's what happens. They stumbled over his words. They couldn't make it back to what he's showing them, to what he's teaching them. And the amazement comes because he's teaching in the synagogue in a way that they must not have ever heard before. He's, reveal, he's doing these healings. He's not able to do many, 
but they're hearing about what he's doing, and they're seeing a little evidence of that, and they can't absorb it. They can't take it in. They're amazed at his wisdom. Sometimes I go home after preaching, and my wife is amazed at my wisdom. She says, when did you have that thought? I've never heard that one come out. Uh, she's amazed now. But here's the thing. As we look at Jesus teaching miracles, the people are amazed. Then it turns to offense. Why is it that these remarkable things that Jesus is doing, why do these not move the needle towards belief for the people? What prevents them from receiving this? I mean, yeah, he's a hometown boy, so maybe that's it. Maybe they know, yeah, I remember when you were this tall, that kind of thing, right? I've gotten that before. He's a carpenter. Maybe that's it, right? In, in this time period in Jesus' culture, carpenter was a very respectable profession, but, and that, that's important, there is kind of uh, that category of profession, he probably worked with wood primarily. It probably had a little more connotation to a general contractor. They probably did some stonework, masonry, and other things too, wood being the primary medium. You can compare it to a scribe, which we read about in Scripture, which would have been kind of in the same labor category, but a scribe, because it was a very physical task, actually, had the luxury of study. And so if they came to you with some kind of wisdom, you'd say, oh, they've studied. I know that. But maybe the carpenter, maybe because of what he does, they say, well, when did this guy get this knowledge? When does this guy have the luxury of getting this wisdom? All kinds of things could come into it. But I think ultimately it comes down to a hardness of heart issue, an unyielding spirit issue. And when you get right down to it, if you want to put it in sort of modern terms, and I want to hang on this for a moment, their worldview had no place for what Jesus offered. They had an understanding of how the world worked and how Jesus fit into that, and they had no place to put what Jesus offered. They didn't know what to do with it. I'll put it in a couple different terms um, uh, of ways we could think of this. Uh, One is a good example for us as, as church people, and we experience this not just in church, in business environments too, But the sociological uh, studies have shown, you know, that 150 people in a community like this is about where you can mentally, uh, is where you mentally max out on how you can know people and know them well, right? So we're a church, actually, that's a little over 200 when you count everybody up, uh, but because of uh, modern church going patterns, you only see half the people half the time. That's across the nation right now. Uh, I can get into that topic if you want later. But 150 is about where we max out. And so even if we have the best intention, if we're not intentional, we can meet new people in a community like this, but getting to know them, for many of us, all of our connectors are already filled up, so to get to know somebody with any any, uh, depth, we almost have to kick someone out, because we're just full. We just already know as many people as our brain can take. And, And frankly, the way that we get around this in a church that's growing or that's bigger than 150, that's why 150 is often a barrier for churches, the way we get around it is small groups, so that you can be known and know others, so that you can care for one another, so you can have that network of accountability and growth together. That allows us to keep growing and not lose that community aspect. But I want to get to something maybe that that might be a little more helpful for us this morning, and this will be just a little teaching moment. It relates, and we'll take it on, Um, And maybe this will help you if you're in the category of I'm I'm on the edge of belief or I don't quite believe and for some of you Maybe you encounter people who don't believe and you're a believer Um, 
let's talk about worldviews for a moment when it comes to God and God's interaction with the world, because that matters here. So there's an image that'll come up here, and this will show you a basic worldview that some people have about how God interacts with the world, what we'll call deism. This was very operative, by the way, uh, as our country was being founded among uh, a number of well-known names that you, I could say, uh, that were deists. That is, they believed that God set the world in order and then stepped back, and there's no interaction between the two anymore. And, and in this worldview, God is impersonal. We can't know God. God can't know us. God put it in motion, and we're really on our own. The natural processes just work, and God was, was good enough to set it up so that that's not going to be a problem. The natural processes are always going to work for us, um, and we're good to go. If, if you take a step off the screen, this one won't come up. Uh, if you wanted to put the atheist worldview, this is just a step removed from atheism is what it is. Atheism is just the world at the bottom. So that's useful for thinking about this. A lot of people that we might encounter, and maybe you're in this category, in this middle category, uh, that we'll call uh, sort of a semi-theist category. So God created the world, and then God has interaction with the world, but generally speaking, not a lot. Generally speaking, yeah, and, and you might hear people talk, and this is old terminology, first causes, second causes is an old way to talk about this. The first causes is that God put all the scientific processes in motion. They go, they do their own thing. Every so often, God will reach in and micromanage a process or a miracle will happen or something like that. But generally speaking, those are rare. They're not going to happen an awful lot because the natural processes were set up by a, a God who knows what he's doing. And so he set them up very well. I would suggest that a much more biblical picture is actually the, the final picture that we'll see here. Not that God is the same thing as the world, that's pantheism, but that God is interactive in the world in a much more robust way than we think of. Yes, still what we'd call natural process is still operative, but that God is much more involved in those than we often recognize. And I think this is what we see quite, quite often in the New Testament. I think this makes much more of an allowance for why God would be able to bring Jesus Christ into the mix. I think you see this all throughout. And I bring this up because we need to make sure that whenever we run into something like what we're seeing in, in the book of Mark here, we're going to see that the disciples make a, a sort of a change from being apostle or disciples to apostles. They believe, and they're going out and living it out. Some of us might be in the category of the people in Nazareth, like, well, I like a lot of what you're saying, Jesus, but I can't really take it in. And we might run into a lot of people like that. And as we look at this, maybe this helps give us a little understanding of why. How deeply involved can God actually be in our world and in our lives uh, with any regularity and on any regular basis? The question is, do you have a place in your worldview for what Jesus offers? That's what I'm bringing us to. Do you have a place to put in... What Jesus offers, is it, is it just an add-on to a world that's already got natural processes, or is it something that's more robust? That Jesus is actually interacting with us on a regular basis as we enter with him in that relationship. And what's remarkable is, as you read story, the Gospels, you can recognize that what Jesus actually offers us is a faith rooted in fact, when we live in a culture that's rooted in feelings. And that's a good thing. That doesn't mean we can't feel the religion. That doesn't mean we can't have uh, feelings when it comes to Jesus. We should, but that's not what our, our faith is based on. 
It's based on fact. It's based on the fact that Jesus actually decisively came and spoke and acted and taught at a historical moment. This isn't just some myth that recycles over and over and over every year and never actually happened, but we talk about. There's something that we can pursue and study and look at, and we can see that Jesus came. And then we can start to make an assessment on the reality of how that fits with what we believe about God's interaction with the world. And so I've heard over the years uh, plenty of times where people say, I can't uh, believe in miracles, or I can't believe in the Gospels because they're biased or something like that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know, they, they put this stuff together because they believed it already. And John, don't even trust that when it's all lovey-dovey, right? Just, but the genius of the faith that we have is that these are real places. You know, your Bible has a map in it. Do you know not every religion has a map in their books? Because some of those places aren't real. They made it up. Your Bible has a map. You can look at that. You can look and see who was the ruler when Mark, Luke said he was the ruler, or Mark said he was the ruler. And you can study those things, and you can start to put together, okay, can this be trusted? And if it can be trusted on these other things, then what about these miracles? What about these teachings that Jesus has? Why would I doubt those if I can trust these other things? Why would they make those things up if everything else they're telling me is factual, is true? So we need to make sure it fits into our worldview. More importantly, though, what Jesus offers is a world being radically transformed. That God's interaction in the world is God remaking the world to relieve it of injustice, of evil, and of sin. And Jesus is giving us an invitation into that kingdom. Jesus' message, ministry, and work is effective to those ends. And it's going to be effective to those ends, whether we say yes or no to it. It's just a matter of, are we going to be in on that plan or out? It will keep going. The kingdom will keep coming. That's what Jesus encounters in Nazareth, the people who have no place to put him. And the question for us is, do we have a place to put Jesus and the fullness of what Jesus offers? Or are we keeping God at arm's length unnecessarily? not recognizing how interactive and fully uh, in communion God is and can be with us, especially through Jesus Christ. Let's progress in the text a little bit to see uh, what Jesus does next then. He's rejected in his hometown, and now you're going to see a transition that begins to happen with his disciples if we go to verse 6. Starting at verse 6, it says, part B, it says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and give them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. I want to point out that Jesus' followers are commissioned to speak and act for Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's what he actually is asking of us. Not just in the Great Commission. It comes in other places that Jesus is constantly propelling those who follow him to do more than just follow, but to teach and act as his people. 
Now, when the disciples go out, we need to understand the context. When they go out, they're going to the people of Israel. They're speaking about the kingdom of God. And they're going out really as apostles. That word is used not in the strict sense that we'd hear it today as a title. It's used when Jesus says he sent them out. That's the word behind that text, which is what apostle means, to be sent. They're going to Israel, talking about the kingdom of God, and there's an urgency to the text. If you read the Gospel of Mark, you'll feel the urgency in everything that Jesus does. It's all immediately, immediately, immediately. You feel that here, that they're going out. Jesus says, don't take anything extra with you. This message needs to get out. It needs to get out rapidly. That's why I'm sending you. And he sends them two by two. That's a good rule for ministry, by the way, to send them out to share the message. And this same commission that he's giving to the disciples falls on all of us who follow Jesus Christ. Paul, in the gospel, or not gospel, the book of Romans, chapter 10, he says, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he goes on in verse 17, and he says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. That is, you need somebody who's taking the message so that somebody can hear the message. So who's going to take the message? Jesus says, if you follow me, you are. Your job is to take the message out so people will hear the message. If you follow Jesus, you're commissioned to preach. Now, maybe not like I'm doing today, but to take the message out so people can hear it. That's what we're called to do. As we recognize that Jesus then calls us to go out, and he commissions those who follow him to be, to be sent and share the good news, we have to recognize that a couple things Jesus shows us here is that we do need some provision to share Jesus and the good news, but we do need to travel light when we do it. I think that does come across here. The disciples are functioning as prophets in the text. As you can see in verse 8, he says, take nothing for your journey except a staff. Interestingly, Matthew and Luke say, don't take a staff. You can work, work with the scholars on that one. I'm not going to go into that this morning. But the staff does have some significance as far as we can tell. Somebody might use a staff for stability. That doesn't seem to be the reason that they would need a staff. A shepherd might use a staff uh, to, to defend or to use it to ward off any danger, shake the bushes so that snakes and other things might go away before the sheep wander that way to graze. More likely, though, because of the prophetic context here, it's, this, it's something like the prophetic authority staff is what they're going with here, much more like Moses would have had. They're supposed to go out speaking the word of God to the people. Secondly, as they go out, they're reliant on the hospitality of others. They're not taking much with them. They walk out in verses 9 and 10. It says, wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And so the question for them is, is God going to be faithful to us on this journey? Maybe we won't eat in every town. Maybe we won't even find a place to stay in every town as we go, but is God going to be faithful as we go? And their faithfulness is not marked by if they find the best place to stay. Their faithfulness is marked by going and preaching the word wherever they can, even if they're not received. That's a hard word, I think, for us as we consider a commission to take out the word, that sometimes people aren't going to receive it. You know, we want to go only to the people that will hear. Wouldn't that be easy? And, and I think culturally, 
we have a further problem, you know, because Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, but definitely answer maybe as often as you can, right? No, he didn't. But we're a maybe culture, right? We, we want the best. We want the things that we want. And this has afflicted the youngest generations, but it's moving its way up fast that we are a maybe people because we always want to reserve the right to cancel the plans at the last minute, even when we're all packed up to go because something better might come up. But in fact, what Jesus is telling them here is, you go, whether they're going to hear you or not, because your job is to preach the word. And they're supposed to preach it in a way that they'll be able to hear it. We heard that great text from Ezekiel this morning. You're not going to a people that don't understand the language. You're going to a people that look and act and think like you. Speak to them as people who look and act and think like you to give them this message. That's really what's behind this. And go there, and you may not be received, but go. And it's going to be hard but go. And we have to recognize that God models the exact same thing for us in Jesus Christ, doesn't he? Who was sent to a people, Jesus was sent to be put in an understandable language, in an understandable way, in an understandable context, under the hospitality of human parents and of Israel. And sometimes he was received and sometimes he wasn't. But he went. He preached the message. He did the work. It's already been modeled for us. Jesus says, now you go and do the same. The other thing I'd point out is, is when it comes to this provision issue that we're supposed to travel light, this is the challenge for me and probably a challenge for many of you if you follow Jesus. You likely have enough knowledge and experience to share the message. You probably don't need to read another book, go to a conference, sit through another Sunday school class. All those are good. Keep doing it. That's fine. But what you and I probably lack is practice. We probably lack just going into the training ground. And the disciples could have lacked that very same thing, except Jesus said, now pack it up and go. And we'll hear in a couple weeks what the results were of that journey. But the question here is not, do I have enough knowledge? Do I have enough banked up experience with Jesus Christ to share the message? It's, do I believe enough to share? Do I believe God's going to be faithful as I take the word out to those I work with, to my family, to my friends? Do I believe God will act when I do that? The other thing to say about as the disciples go out is that they are to take the message to all, and they're taking it to Israel primarily. This, of course, gets expanded uh, as we extend uh, beyond the death and resurrection of Jesus. Take the message to all, but they're supposed to give special attention to those who will hear. I mean, if people will hear, hang out as long as they'll hear. Keep delivering the message until they receive it then. And so I want to say this, if you follow Jesus, follow the advice of Ephesians 4.32, no matter what your situation is, be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another just as in Christ, God forgave you. And so that means even when you run into people that don't agree with you, that are downright mean, be kind and compassionate. If we want to put it in different terms, don't be a jerk. That's not our commission. That's not our call. We're working on this in our own family. If somebody's mean to you, don't be mean back to them. Be kind and compassionate. We're working on it with the little ones. Some days it's hard. Some days it's hard for adults, right? Especially, I think, more so in our environment when people are being really mean about some really silly things. Be kind and compassionate. Don't be a jerk. If you write anything down this morning as your notes, you can write both of those things, right? Don't just write, don't be a jerk. That's good. Write it in capitals, but write, be kind and compassionate because that's actually the character of Christ that we need to have and put on. 
But the other thing is, if you're a follower of Christ, there's an urgency about the message. That's why Jesus is telling them, keep going from when you, when you, when you get to a place, if they receive you, stay. If they don't, okay, preach the message, go on so that the next people can hear. Otherwise, they won't hear. Somebody might be ready to receive it down the road. Be ready to take it to those people. Pay attention to those who will listen. It's a message for all, but not all are going to take it in. And we need to especially hear this as the church. We need to recognize that, that as the church, we need to do the same thing as God's people gathered together. And this continues to afflict churches. It's not the field of dreams world of church anymore, that if you build it, they'll come. We do have guests. We do have visitors. We need to be super hospitable to them. But we don't have people banging down our door. We have people that are out in the culture not realizing they need Jesus, looking for identity everywhere and, and the, the happiness everywhere and almost getting there and always almost getting there and almost and almost and almost but never quite getting there, not realizing what they're missing. Brothers and sisters, we have the truth. There's an urgency about the task that we can help them find their way to the one who can complete the task. And as the church, that's why we need clarity in our mission and in our vision and focus in our ministry activities because we can end up without realizing it saying yes to all kinds of things. And every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. And we need to be targeted and clear in the mission we've been given as a people to fulfill that. Finally, when Jesus gives them the instructions, probably the hardest part for some of us unless you're like me, the hardest part for some of us is what he says in verse 11. He says, And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. That's an act of judgment, actually. Because basic hospitality in Jesus' day was that it was dusty, you wore sandals, they only had one pair of sandals. When you go in, you're, the basic hospitality, garden variety, like this is what you do when somebody enters your home, is to wash their feet. This says you're welcome in my home. If they don't even do that, if they don't even receive you that way, when you turn, you're giving them the judgment. You're saying, look, I've delivered the message. It's no longer on me. It's on you what happens. Now, I say that's easier for me. I have, I have an easier time shaking the dust off my feet, I think, with some people. Some people want to try and try and try and try and try. I don't say that in a judgmental way. And, and I don't know that that's exactly how, what we need to take as the import of this. If somebody doesn't receive the message, judge them harshly. No. I think it, what we can take from this is we need to give attention to those who will hear. It is a message for all. And there's some who are going to be receptive to it, and there's always somebody who's going to be receptive to it. So let's pray for those moments. And let's bring the good news to those people as quickly as we can so they'll receive it. They might be able to reach people we can't. When you take Jesus at his word, you'll share Jesus with his world. I do believe that. I believe that as I preach this this morning, you may hear this as a challenge to you. This is clearly a challenge to me. I've redone my schedule numerous times over the past couple years to try and make sure that I am out and about in the world, and it's always easier to revert to what you know and what's safer. But that's not the commission we're given. The commission we're given is to take the message out when it gets within us. And we can take heart in the fact that sometimes when Jesus spoke, people didn't always receive it. But you know what? Sometimes they did. And they were changed because of it. And that's what we're supposed to do. We must believe in our commission. And just like the disciples were put out in the field, transitioning from disciples, those who were just followers, to apostles, those who were sent, 
that should be our goal as well. So this morning, I, I want to pray. Um, and as we pray, let me just give you sort of two, two levels that you might aim for in our prayer time. One is perhaps you need to take the time to think about what it would mean to transition to be an apostle. You follow Jesus, you've been doing it for a long time, and you say to yourself, I do want to be sent. I do want to take the message out. And as we pray, I want to encourage you then, ask God where and when and how. How can this start tomorrow in my life? For those of you who maybe you're on the fence or you're like, mm, I'm not even sure I'm a disciple, let me encourage you then as we pray to ask God, how can I nudge closer to this Jesus? How can I inch just closer? How can I, I put in the effort to inch closer to Jesus this week? Let's pray together. Lord, may we have the urgency inside of us to recognize that at some point, for those of us who follow, somebody preached the word to us. At some point, somebody took the risk, in some cases, to tell us the good news. And even at some points, we weren't receptive to that news. We were closed off. Lord, help us recognize your faithfulness as we take the message out this week. Help us recognize that no matter what our actions uh, convey, if we follow you, they convey your kingdom. May we convey your kingdom as good, as true, as right, as a worldview worth holding, that you are active and operative in this world, that you continue to create and recreate and transform us by your word and your works, that miracles still happen, and they happen in us when we come to you and you begin the act of redemption and restoration through your son, Jesus. Father, for those of us who just aren't there. May your spirit work in us. May we be encouraged and in fact even a bit convicted to pick up your word and actually read it. To do that alone, to pray, to do that with others so that we might grow. Father, may we be transformed because of your word at work in us because of your son, Jesus Christ, who is alive and active in the world today. We pray this all in your name. Amen.